unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Welcome to another episode of the Raw and Unscripted Show, where yours truly, Christopher Roush, your No Excuses Coach, helps you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Appreciate you guys being here, whether you're live on the video cast or you're on the replay of the video cast or you're listening to us on audio podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for for coming back here every single week. We are on show number, I think, two hundred and eight. I think we're on show number two hundred and eight. Yes, two hundred and eight shows here of the Raw and Unscripted Show. We started back in January of twenty nineteen, and we've been going non stop ever since. And there is no slowing down right now because we have so much in store for you guys. I'm super excited about the show. I may have shared with you guys before. I found out recently I'm in the top 10% of podcasts globally. So thank you. Thank you for, for doing that where you guys are all over the country, all over the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're in all sorts of different places, which I appreciate. I want to hear from you guys in those places, the Scotland's and the Saudi Arabia's and the, in the, in the India's. I want to hear from you guys. Send me an email, Christopher at Christopher Roush. Let me know where you're from. Let me know what you want to see in the show, different topics, different guests. Uh, let me know how I'm doing. Let me know what I can do differently. I know a few of you have said, Chris, I love your show. I love your show, but you talk too fast. And I'm working on that, guys. When I talk slow, it actually feels like I'm on drugs. So talking this slow right now, as opposed to talking like I normally talk, is very weird for me. So bear with me, but I am working on talking slower. So thank you for that uh, little piece of advice. Appreciate you guys. And uh, one of the things I'm really excited about, I want to share with you guys before we go jumping into uh, what we got going on for tonight is I am super excited. I'm just going to share my screen here for a second with you guys just to show you something. I've been talking about this for a while. I've been talking about my book, my book. Well, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, there it is on my website. This is a preliminary copy, a preliminary copy of the cover. It's called It's Just You and Me, Kid, A True Story of a Mother and Son Survival on the Streets of California. That's going to probably change. But the most important thing is it's finally happening. This coming fall, my unbelievable life story will be out to purchase. You guys have been asking about that. People have been saying, Chris, when is your book going to be done? When is your book going to be done? I've been talking about this book for probably about 10 years at least. And I've been writing it since October of 2020 when the, when the pandemic started. And it has been uh, an incredible journey. I got to tell you, it's been some of the most painful experiences of my life, having to go back and revisit in detail some of the things that I endured uh, as a kid and as a teenager. But through that process, I've been able to see things in my, in my past with a different lens, with a different light, right? You know, I talk about here on the show that we can look through the lens of life in one of two ways. We can look through the lens of love or we can let, look through the lens of fear. And in my original upbringing in my life, everything was about fear. It was about scarcity. It was about lack. It was about fighting. It was about surviving. But now I'm in a different place in my life. And so with that being in a different place, I could see things from a, from a, from a lens of love. And I found a lot of empathy and forgiveness in my story, in myself, for some of the things that I did that weren't exactly uh, great, you know, in my own personal experiences. And then also more importantly, the, 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 empathy and the forgiveness that I have for people who wronged me. I've been betrayed quite a bit in my life. You guys obviously know my mother was one of those people. She tried to do the best she could with what she had. Um, but now at my, at my ripe old age of 54, thank you very much. I know people say, you don't look at Chris, you don't look at, well, thank you. Cause I, I work out and I take care of myself. That's what you need to do. But when you have empathy and forgiveness, when you can look at uh, tragic experiences in your life with a different lens, it's pretty incredible how immediate you could start feeling some relief in your life. And I know a lot of us are carrying a lot of stress. We're pushing it down. We keep pushing it down. We talk about here on the show with our emotions, we can either express 
repress or suppress our emotions. And so a lot of us, you know, through our childhood and through our adulthood, we just keep pushing things down. We keep pushing things down and we're walking through life, but yet we're hoping, wishing, and praying that someday we'll be happy. We're envious of people who have it all and they seem to be authentically happy and smiling, but yet we still carry around this baggage in our hearts and our minds. That ladies and gentlemen is one of your primary uh, focuses should be is to find empathy and forgiveness for yourself and for people who have wronged you in your life. Because when you do that, it's pretty incredible how light you start to feel and how all your other perspectives about things start to shift and you start really seeing light from a lens of love, right? It's not, it's not about anger or fear or animosity or anything else. It's about true love. And it's about truly finding, uh, that, that purpose to seek, understand what people were going through. And one of the things that during this process of writing this book is I was able to sit there and say, why does my mom like this? Why is my mom like this? Why is my mom like this? And I thought about it and I'm like, well, she keeps telling me she's four years old. Well, I mean, she was in her forties, uh, in her fifties and her sixties up until the, when she passed away. And I'm like, mom, why do you keep saying you're four years old? She, I'm, I'm four years old. I'm four years old. And it dawned on me as I was writing this book, I'm like, fuck, when she was four years old, her parents divorced and she had to go live with her mother who was, was even worse than my mom was. Right. So she endured a lot of physical abuse, mental abuse. I mean, the, the stories that go on for days for her life, I was able to find empathy and forgiveness for her because I thought to myself, if I had gone through all the experiences that my mother had and all the different people in her life, the different when, and, and the time of life that she went through it and her sexuality being a female in the sixties, might I be just like her? And the truth of the story is I said, yes, I could probably be like her. So I found that empathy and forgiveness in her and was able to really kind of just open myself up to a lot more love and, and, and happiness. And like I was just talking backstage with my guests, I've been able to find that I don't need as much anymore. Before it was about all the external things. I needed validation. I needed, you know, different houses and different places and different cars and all that other stuff. But now that I feel like really whole in my life and I'm starting to really build from that foundation outwards with humanity and what I'm doing in my coaching and my speaking and my books and everything else, you know, it's pretty incredible what we can do. So I just inspire you guys. If you're interested in reading this book, please go to noexcusescoach.com right there on the front page. You can put your first name, your last name and your email and you will join the presale list. So what I'm going to do is obviously I want to make this, this book a, best, a bestseller, number one bestseller. So I need your help with that. So when the day it comes out, I need everybody to go on Amazon and buy that. So it actually can scale up in the rankings. So in order to do that, what I want to do for you as, as part of helping me is give you a bunch of benefits. So when you take a look at this, you're going to find that some of the benefits that I have already, um, are you, you're going to get stories and pictures that won't be available in the book. Um, you're going to get an opportunity to interview and ask me questions privately about anything related to the book. Like, well, what happened with this person? How did you feel about this? You guys, anybody who buys the book that first day will get an opportunity to have a, a Zoom session with me and be able to ask me anything. Um, you're going to be entered to win one of five 45 minute coaching sessions. So depending on how many of you are, I'm going to pick five names and you guys are going to get a complimentary coaching session with me. No sales, just you bring one of your issues and I'm going to help you one-on-one -on -one for 45 minutes or as long as it takes, because you're doing me a solid to help me become a number one bestseller. You're going to get sneak peek snippets of the book before it's published. So I've already got the book written. So I'm going to start sharing, uh, some, some, uh, some snippets with it. And then also you're going to get free access to my upcoming masterclass. So people have been asking me to do masterclasses. People have been asking me to do uh, courses and things of that nature, because really the only way to work with me is one-on-one. -on -one. That's, that's the way I built my businesses. We work one-on-one -on -one and that's it. But at the, at the urging of my coaches and my mentors, I am creating what they call a sales funnel, which are different opportunities for you to work with me uh, at different price points. But I need your help to make this a bestseller. So go to noexcusescoach.com or you can go to itsjustyouandmekid.com and that way you can get on the list and then you will get uh, uh, alerts and notices when we go live with the book. It's most likely going to be about September, October, but get your name on the list now. That way you don't have to worry about it. 
And I thank you from the bottom of my heart to help me get this book in as many hands as we possibly can, because the story is uh, absolutely uplifting, motivational, inspirational. There's a lot of lessons in there that we can take as we're reading it and listening to this journey that we can apply in our life. And that's what I want for you as your No Excuses Coach. So thank you guys for, for in, uh, imbibing me on that. I appreciate you guys. Uh, who do we got in the house today? We got in the house today. We got two friends catering in the house. Congratulations. What's up, two friends catering? I noticed you just uh, watched or just joined my uh, YouTube community. So thank you for that. I appreciate you very much. And uh, tonight's conversation is something that I want you to take notes with, right? A lot of what we talk about on the show here is about resiliency. It's about confidence, about courage. It's about what you're made of on the inside to really truly find what your best is. And my guest tonight, I've had the opportunity to have many conversations with him. He's a great guy. He has served in our military. So thank you for that. Uh, he's written a few books himself. We're going to be talking about that. He's got a project himself that he's doing uh, and he's making waves in the world in a positive way. So please welcome to the Ron and Scripted Show, my buddy, Paul Roscoe White. What's going on, Paul Roscoe White? Welcome to the Chris Roush, my homie. What's up, dude? Hey, dude. So I've been listening to your uh, 10 minute goings on there for your intro and uh, epic intro. I don't know that I could say that many words in this hour long podcast. So kudos to you for speaking fast and nobody likes it. Screw them. Right. Exactly. Um, but what I wanted to say to your listeners, right. So people who haven't gotten a chance to meet Chris, talk to Chris and just kind of be your friend. Uh, I want everybody to know that dude, you are as real off camera as you are on camera. And I, I thank you for inviting me into your circle as you know, uh, and, and go ahead and just throw this, the plug out there for the one of five project, my little project that I, that I work on on the side. It's all about keeping your circle small and those people that influence you, that you allow to influence you. And, uh, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be part of your small circle and you're definitely part of mine. So thanks for your inspiration, man. Keep up the good work, buddy. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I did not expect that, but thank you. Yes. Um, I appreciate that, Paul. And you're the same person as you are, you know, in social media as well. And that's the thing that I look for in people is like, are they real? Are they putting on different types of faces in order to be, you know, that specific person for those people to, to get the validation and everything else. Yeah. At the end of the day, when you're just being yourself, right, there's so many people out there that are going to vibe with you and dig with you. There's people out there that don't dig me, that don't like the bandana, that don't like the swearing and it's okay. There's people like you and, and me out there and Walt and, and Lee and all the other brothers that we have and sisters uh, to make this world a great place. So you're absolutely right. It's about surrounding ourselves with those right people. And that leads me to my first question. When you think about your life, Paul, and you think about all the ups and downs and everything else about it, who was that one person in your life that gave you the best advice and the best inspiration for you to become the man that you are today? Oh, dude. So um, I could tell you the whole roller coaster, but it would take a it would take a little bit. So I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. So joined the military, ended up getting my college education done after I got married and decided that I was going to go from enlisted to officer, kind of similar to what Walt did. And I'm at my going away party in Anchorage, Alaska. My uh, officer in charge of the unit that I was in was married to a fighter pilot in my squadron. And he, at, after many Alaskan ambers that night, he put me in the headlock and he said, dude, it's easy. Just be the best at everything and you get whatever you want. And for some reason, that little sentence just resonated with me. And that's kind of been what I've been trying to do for what going on almost 20 years now is, you know, just try to be the top echelon of whatever it is you're attempting. It doesn't if you're if you're tying your shoes in the morning, tie your shoes better than anybody else in the house. You know, if you're brushing your teeth, brush your teeth better than your neighbor. It doesn't matter what it is. If you set that personal standard for yourself, that that standard of excellence then dude, it's true. Cream rises to the top, man. And I'm not saying that I've accomplished anything big or, you know, grandiose or anything, but that's been what drives me is just that, that constant search to try to outperform the other dude. That's it. Ooh. 
I love that. I love that. There's a couple of places that I could go off on with that, that statement. So thank you for that. You said the word best, and this is something I've been asking a lot of my, my uh, guests lately and just talking to people in life. When we're kids, one of our, our, our go-to phrases is I did the best I could, right? You think about, you know, Chris, did you do the best you could on your math test? Yeah, I did the best I could. Okay, we'll do better next time. Yeah, but, but nobody really, really identifies nobody identifies what our best is and nobody really puts us to task on that. And so about probably six years now, it's amazing how fast time goes goes by. Probably about six years ago now, I came back from my corporate job. It was late at night. I was putting my wallet, my stuff up on my dresser. And I thought to myself, and I talked to myself out loud because I think there's some intelligence there. Don't ask me why, but I think the outside voice is smarter than the inside voice. It's crazy. But I sat there and I said out loud, well, I did the best I could today. I probably had some big projects at work or stuff like that. I had a lot of responsibility in my corporate job. And I said, I did the best I could. And then I stopped and I said, Chris, was that really your best? Or is that just your phrase that you're giving yourself that opportunity, that excuse to say, well, you, could, you, you, you couldn't have done any better, Chris. You, you did the best you could. And I stopped and I called bullshit on myself, honestly, Paul. And I went, that wasn't my best. And I started thinking about it. Like, what is my best? What is my true best? We're both doing 75 hard and I'm going to get into that in a few minutes. But when you think about that and you think about what that, that advice that you got, what is your best and how can we help people realize what their true best is? Yeah, dude. So, uh, I mean, and, and you almost, you almost just came right out and said it because I think when you, when you say something nebulous, like do your best, it's very subjective. You know, and it's it's up to interpretation. But when you set a hard goal and you make things competition, then you can objectively and quantifiably grade that and say, did you meet this? Yes or no. And that's why I say, you know, brush your teeth better than the other guy. Well, everything's a competition. And and if you break things down like that, I'm going through this right now with my 18 year old. He's getting ready to go to college. And I was telling him about all the opportunity that's out there. And how do you set yourself apart? You're going to a new school, meeting all new people. Not one of his friends is going to this school. So he's going there, a complete stranger, doesn't know a single soul. How do you set yourself apart? I said, you go find the smartest guy in the room and you start a competition with him. And if he's making 96s on the test, you make 97s. That's how you start. Not only does that motivate you to do well in whatever endeavor it is that that you're tackling, and it really doesn't matter. You can do this to gardening. You can do it to running a 5K. It doesn't matter, right? But when you when you set a finite goal on it, when you put numbers and math involved in it, now you have something you can grade yourself against. And that, to me, is how you measure your best. Now, if you meet your goal, do you stop there? No. Set another goal. Keep going. Yeah. Just like we're doing with the 75 hard. Guess what, dude? Today is day 30. I set a goal on day one that I was going to do 30 burpees and 100 push-ups every day for the first 30 days. I did it. So now what am I going to do for the next 45 days? I'm going to keep going. I actually was talking to Katie, uh, my wife, earlier. I said, I'm, I think I'm going to up it to 45 burpees a day now Dang. and see how that goes for the next 30 days. And then maybe I'll bump it out to 150 push-ups and 45 burpees every day for the last two weeks. So that's how that's how you just keep increasing that personal standard. Just keep moving that goalpost out just a little bit more. And you find that you're really capable of a lot more than you think you are. When you when you knock down that first domino, you're like, well, that wasn't that bad. Let me I'm going to set up another domino and go knock that sucker down. And before you – I mean – I, I said this to one of my sons one time. I, you take an empty cup and set it on the on the uh, on the counter, and every day put one drop of water in that cup. And at first, it seems like, well, this is a waste of time. That doesn't that's not going to do anything. But at the end of the year, you're going to have a full cup. Right. You, your life is no different, man. Just keep putting little drops in the bucket. Little drops, one drop a day, one drop at a time, and before you know it, you got a full bucket, man. 
Yes, I love that. And we got to fill our own buckets too, by the way, guys. Uh, that's a book that I, I read to my son. My son isn't quite 18. He's only six. And we have a book, we have a book about filling buckets and how you can empty buckets and stuff like that. But that's a that's another subject. Um, in talking about that, in talking about that scorecard, one of the things that I think about, honestly, Paul, and I want to get your idea on this. When I think about doing my best, I've never been a super competitive person because I always feel like in competition, somebody loses. So for me, competition hasn't, hasn't always worked in that vein, but I understand what you're saying. I love what you're saying because you're sitting there saying, okay, this is a benchmark that I can go against and because if that person can do it, there's no reason why I can't do it. So I love that. But here's the thing that I use, and I started using this recently as I've been picking this apart in my brain and kind of think about, okay, how can I get my, my clients to be doing their best and how can we gauge that? And I started thinking about it the other day, it was actually a couple of weeks ago, I was washing my cars outside. Something I like to do on a Friday morning when it's nice and quiet outside, listen to my audiobook, and I wash both my cars, detail them, make them look all nice. And I started thinking about it. My back was getting sore and I was getting to the wheels. And of course we know the wheels are one of the first things that people notice on yeah, a car, like shiny wheels. It's got the tire dressing and I washed the wheel good enough. And I sat there and said, well, it's good enough. My back hurts. You know, I've already been doing this for two hours. And then I thought to myself, and this is something that I've been using a lot lately, is I thought if a film crew was here watching me right now saying, hey, here's a day in the life of Christopher Roush, would I leave that wheel good enough? Or would I sit there and polish that wheel and go to that extra detail yeah. to make sure it's really, really nice? And I thought to myself, Paul, I'm like, do I deserve to come out here in a couple of hours and look down at that wheel and go, fuck, that wheel looks good? Or am I going to walk out here and go, man, for a couple more minutes, I could have made that real wheel look really, really good. And so for me at that moment, irregardless of my pain, irregardless of everything else, I took the sponge back out. I rewashed the wheel, got in the cracks and made sure it was all clean. All the brake dust was off of it. Scrubbed it real nice with the, with the, with the tire cleaner and then put the, put the polish on there, man, that rim looks so good. That tire looks so good. It popped on my truck. And every time I walked out there, I saw that and I thought, okay, when we think about somebody watching us and filming us, that's another way of doing that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, take that same what you're talking about is that competition with yourself. And and back yeah. a few minutes ago, when I said everything's a competition, it doesn't necessarily have to be an overt competition, me versus Chris. It can be me versus me. Yeah. You know, when I mean, at the end of the day, the only person I really have to answer to is the guy staring back at me in the mirror. Yeah. And if I can look that guy in the eye at night and say, you know what, dude, you did a good job today. You were a good dude. You hit home runs. You knocked out everything on your list. You can go to bed and sleep sound tonight. Well, hey, guess what? I won the competition. And, I, you know, and I don't, I don't 100% agree with um, with saying, you know, in competition, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that in competition, there's a winner and a loser. Like, I, I, I think that I think that that a should motivate you and make you want to increase your personal standard. And you know what, if you can't win at Project X, well, then go find Project Y that maybe you're a little bit better at. Not everybody's going to be an NFL football player. Not everybody's going to be a, a star music singer on, on American Idol, you know, so find something that you're good at first and then find a way to start winning at that. Yeah. Ordinary. I mean, just ordinarily mundane things in your life every day, uh, little habits that you have, that's the competition within yourself. And that was what you were getting at with your wheels. You know, you mm -hmm. look at that wheel as a personal reflection of yourself. Michael Jordan was famous for this, right? Yeah. Michael Jordan was famous for his, his cars better not have a speck of dust on it. His suits were always pressed. He was always dressed to the nines because that was a reflection of his personal excellence and the way that he attacked every single facet of his life. If he can't drive a car that's washed and waxed and looks great, then how would he be expected to play at the level that he played on the floor at night? Right. See, so these things are individual reflections of, of our, of our person, of our personal standard that 
in my opinion, if everybody would focus a little bit more on that and a little bit less on the external and who's making me angry and what's going on on social media <laughs> or what Fox News said today and stop focusing on that shit and start focusing on who's staring back at you in the mirror and how you can make that guy a little bit better every day or gal a little bit better every day, then I just think the world's going to end up a better place. Yes, yes, yes. And to that point, there is no more Tucker Carlson on uh, Fox News. But anyways, um, <laughs> what we were talking we, about, we can have that discussion offline a little bit. What, um, what you're talking about is integrity. And I think about that in my life, you know, like the overarching thing we're talking about is integrity. Talk to us about a time maybe that you weren't in incongruent with your, you were incongruent with your integrity or tell us about a time where your integrity was questioned with your, within yourself. And what, what things did you go through in your mind to come out of that? Well, I, you know, I tell the story, but, and it wasn't necessarily an integrity thing, but I think it was more of a, it was more of a situation where I had my priorities in the wrong place, right? I was, I was, I was going in a direction that I thought I wanted to go, but in reality, I think I, I needed to go a different way, but I was a little bit too bullheaded to accept that. And, and this was back years ago. Um, I'd been, I'd been flying jets for, I don't know, two, three, four years. And I thought that I was supposed to go to fighter weapons school, which is the air force's version of top gun. I was the top 1% of my squadron. I had all the marks to do it. I, I had the ability. I had the skill. I had the knowledge. I had the backing except for one person. And that was my commander. And he's the Ooh. guy that's got the power. Yeah. And he said, no. And I was, I was really butthurt about that man. And, and I held a grudge against that man for a really long time. Um, not for what he did, but why he did it. And that's a whole nother conversation. And, and we'll get there, I guess, maybe some other time. But not going to that school that I thought was kind of my destiny or, or where I was supposed to be, um, it gave me a lot of time to really reflect on who I am versus what I do. Oh, and and yeah, that. see, that's that's a big distinction, man. And, yeah, and I think, you know, that. especially especially for a lot of the type A guys. And, and I come from I mean, I, I grew up in a career community of I mean, we're all alphas. You know, we, I walk in to work every day with 33 lions in the room Ooh. and everything. Like I said, everything's a competition. And uh, I think that we kind of took that on as well. This is who I am. I am Roscoe. You know, yeah. and and not getting to go to that school gave me a chance to really deep dive back into myself. And it, it didn't it didn't happen overnight. It actually took a couple of years and it took me getting sitting overseas two more times for a total of 15 months before I finally realized, no, 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 I'm, I'm not that guy. I am a husband. I'm a father to three boys and I owe them leadership love example i i owe them all these things not the air force because at the end of the day man when i'm 80 the air force isn't going to be there wiping my ass my kids are yes. so and and it, you know it was really it was really that um i had gotten really mixed up there for i i think probably three or four years where i thought that my identity was one thing when in reality i just needed that swift kick in the ass to show me no dude you, you're supposed to be going this direction and and since then i think i think i got back on track and uh, I can tell you a lot more stories uh, along those lines, but I think that was probably the that was probably the one the one big one, the big life changer, the the, the vector that shifted the most for me. I love that. I love that. And thank you for sharing that um, because that's important stuff. And what you talked about then there is the identity. Like so many times we sit there yeah. and think, like, who are you? like, well, I'm this, I'm the brother, I'm the husband, I'm the, no, no. Like who are you truly inside within yourself? And I think that's probably one of the biggest questions that we should all be answering is not what I do, but who I am. 
right? So when you yeah. think about that, if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, Paul, I saw your interview on Raw and Unscripted and I'm, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with my identity. What are some tangible tips that people can sit there and do to, 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 to separate that, that difference between what I do and who I am? Well, you know, for me, like I said, man, I had a, uh, what I would, what I would probably call it a significant emotional event at the time, you know, when I, when I didn't get selected to that thing, cause I kind of had my, my mind set on that. And I thought that my yeah. career and my life was going to go one direction. So, um, for the listeners who may be struggling with something like that, unfortunately, man, it just takes a little bit of, you really have to do some introspection. And, and if you're not into meditating, I strongly encourage people to at least give it a shot because if you can find a way to, to get rid of all the chaff in your life, all the distractions and all the things that are trying to pull your attention away from what you really need to focus on at the time. I think it gives you a little bit of clarity. And I, I did this one challenge. I, I think I told you about it. I did this one challenge called the 12 hour walk. And yeah. I, I left my house at six o'clock one morning. I didn't come back until six o'clock that evening. I walked 24 miles and about three hours into this thing is when I got the clarity and I, this one problem that I'd been thinking about, I was able to really drill down on it. So unfortunately, you know, I don't know that there's an easy button to push on mm -hmm. that. And, and I don't know if there's a one size fits all kind of answer for me. I like to put myself in places that really challenge me to where my mind can only think about one thing right now. I'll go out and I, I told you my half marathon story where I hadn't run more than five miles in five years. And I went and ran a half marathon just to see if I could do it. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that put my mind in a place where the only thing that I was thinking about was the next step for 13.1 miles. And when you do things like that, man, it just clears everything off your plate and you, you get this tremendous amount of almost like relief. Like, man, yeah. I just, it doesn't matter who's saying what on Facebook when you're focusing on not tripping over the rocks, you know, it, it doesn't like that stuff. Just, it becomes trivial. It becomes, um, it it's, it's just a non-factor when you really have to focus on something that intently for that long, then everything else just kind of falls away and you can really get down to the root of whatever it is you're trying to, trying to dig in on. Mm, I love that, Paul. It's all about perspective. All right. It's all about perspective and deciding whether or not you're going to be a victim or a victor in life. And you and I both choose to be victors. We've been victims in our life, I'm sure. But when we make that delineation to sit there and say, you know what, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I'm going to actually treat myself and speak to myself in the way that a victor yeah. would, a, a way somebody yeah. who was loving and happy would. <clears throat> and so oftentimes we talk to ourselves in such a negative, con condescending, destructive way, yet we wonder why we're not happy. You know, when I think about my life and I think about my failures and my mistakes and everything that I've focused on, I probably focused way more on my failures and mistakes, which are much less than my successes. But once I started turning that around, once I started shifting around my belief and my awareness about my mistakes and my failures and started realizing things about them, that's when, that's when my perspective really changed to sit there and say, wait a minute, if I learn from every quote unquote mistake that I make, then I'm going to go out there and make more. And when I tell my clients that I'm like, you do you learn from your mistakes? Yes or no? Well, yes, I do. And I'm like, well, go make more. And their immediate reaction is like, well, yeah. no, I, I thought I was told not to make mistakes. I'm like, they're not mistakes in the general sense. They are stepping stones. They are learning opportunities for you to get better and stronger. Yeah. For you, talk to us about, you're very successful, you're very accomplished, you're very strong-minded and strong-willed. Talk to us about maybe younger Paul and how you dealt with rejection and failure and mistakes versus who you are today. And what was that transformation process like? Oh, dude. So when I was a younger kid, man, I was um, I'm going to, I'm going to use the word confidence, but I think everybody that knows me, especially from back then would say cockiness. And if I, if, if something didn't go my way or I didn't get what I wanted, or let's say I come in second place to, to whatever. And I thought I deserved first, I would, I would get really butthurt about it. 
And it took a long, long time to really get over it. And I think, I think some of that's just a product of maturity. Sure. Um, obviously experience and, and age goes along with that. Having kids and, and having to try to lead them by example and teach them right from wrong. I, I think that that, that was probably what ended up putting me over that hump. And it shows you a little bit of humility um, for one, but you know, when I used to coach football, um, I had coach white's big three and my big three were attitude, attention, and effort. Mm. And every day I would make the guys, I would just hold up three fingers and the kids would all yell out attitude, attention, and effort. That's coach white's big three. Right. And I think having the right attitude going into things just kind of sets the stage, right? If you can pay it, if you go into it with the right attitude and, and I go back to my previous example, when I didn't get the school that I wanted and I ended up going to another assignment, uh, I initially went into that with a kind of a shitty attitude. It, it took a few months for me to turn that around. And we started, my wife and I sat down one night and we just started talking about it. And we, we ended up looking at all the good things that we were surrounded by. We were close to Nashville, a town that we really enjoyed in North Tennessee, in the rolling Hills up there, right on the Tennessee river. Uh, we were closer to family. You know, there were all these, all these benefits of getting to go where we went at the time. We got to shoot a lot of guns and blow a lot of shit up. I mean, it was cool, right? <laughs> nice. I had to, I had to kind of, I had to, I had to peel back a little bit of the, of the anger and, and get to that point where I could recognize that the, the position that I was in was a really good one. Right. So attitude going in, I think is, is, uh, that's key, right? Yeah. Uh, pay attention to your surroundings, pay attention to what's being taught to you, whether it is a lesson that you're trying to learn, whether it's a skill that you're trying to pick up from a coach or, or, you know, a new, um, a new project that you're working on at work, pay attention, learn those things, expect that you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Because the third one is, is really one of the bigger keys is the effort piece of it. As long as you're giving maximum effort, you come in with a good attitude, you pay attention to what I'm trying to teach you and you give me maximum effort. I expect you to make mistakes. I expect you to screw things up the first few times. What we want to try to do is minimize those and not make the same mistakes twice. So yeah. at the end of the day, you put those three things together and then you couple them with my little three. My little three were accountability, responsibility, and humility. Those mm -hmm. three things, I think humility is probably the, 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 the linchpin of the whole thing, right? So know your responsibilities, adhere to them, make yourself accountable, hold yourself accountable, because if you don't, somebody will, <laughs> right? And then have the humility to just raise your hand up and say, hey, I screwed up. I made a mistake. I was going full speed. I paid attention to what you said and I had a great attitude about it. And I got the humility to say I screwed up, man. Who would not want that guy on their team? I, I, I want a team full of those guys because yeah. I can work with that. And, and I built a couple of championship teams out of dudes that were just like that. Right. So having that humility piece of it, I think, is uh, going back. If I, if I could go back and talk to my 20 year old self, I would say, hey, dude, slow down, swallow some humble pie. <laughs> and enjoy the moments enjoy yeah, those moments yeah. i look back on my life and i think about i was always in survivor mode or i was always in planning mode i was always either pontificating or thinking about the past and how i could do something better or i was thinking about or worrying about the future instead of being present in the moment and that's something that i've learned honestly from becoming a dad you've talked about you've talked about a few times about being a dad and being and having kids in yeah, your life yeah you know when i sit there and i think about that um that perspective shift you know, it's pretty incredible what it is that we can do when we have a bigger meaning to what it is that we're that we're doing with our life and yeah. being able to sit there and say, okay, how can I lead by example through this particular situation? How can I have that humility? How can I have that vulnerability? You know, as men, it's it's so awkward for some men to talk about their vulnerabilities, like their weaknesses. Like, no, I was told to be a man. You got to be tough and all those different stereotypical phrases that we were told as young boys 
that kind of stick with us all throughout our, our adult life. And then we sit there and think like, do I really need to be a man or can I just be a person? Can I, do I always yeah. have to be, you know, the masculine person or can I be vulnerable? Can I cry during a movie? Can I just be really in touch with our emotions? Yeah. You know, I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm getting to know you. I don't know you like perfectly, but I'm getting to know you a lot. Talk to us about that as far as being a man and what we can do to help other men yeah. be more in touch with those emotions and that vulnerability and to kind of see that really truly as our strength versus as potentially a weakness that most people would talk about it. But you know, that, that word vulnerability is thrown out there. Like it's like, it's no big deal, but it's kind of, I mean, it, it's kind of the key to the whole yeah. thing. And, and the, the unfortunate part though is, well, what does it really mean to be vulnerable? You know, and, and my wife will tell you that I have the best resting bitch face you've probably ever seen. Like <laughs> I, you could come in and tell me the happiest story or the saddest story and you'll get the same expression because what am I doing? I'm looking for the problem and how to solve it. Right. And it's taken me a lot of years to figure out that, man, sometimes she just wants you to listen and give her a hug. Men are from right? Mars. Women are from Venus. Best book ever on relationships. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm standing there. Um at the end of a football game in October last year, actually maybe first of November last year. And it's my baby boy's last football game. All right. This is my wife and I've been preparing ourselves for this for the entire season. The last football game. I have three sons. My oldest is 26. My youngest is 18. Gotcha. And this was his last football game. He's been playing football spring and fall since he was six years old. Wow. Yeah. And they lost the game. Oh, they didn't make the playoffs. And so coach got them all in a huddle down at the end zone and he gave them the, Hey guys, good season, rah, rah kind of stuff. And of course the kids weren't hearing any of it because a lot of the kids knew that that was the first time they were going to strap it on or the, sorry, the last time that they were going to strap it on. And my son, I could see the tears welling up in his eyes as he walked off the field across the end zone and my wife and I are standing in the corner of the end zone down there. And he came up and he just gave me, we, he and I got this big bro embrace and just let it flow, man. Yeah. And you know, not ashamed, not yeah, ashamed, no. not even Proud. a little bit, you know, when, when, when you dedicate that much effort to something, let it go, dude, yes. you know? And, and I think that that, that might be, you know, part of it when we talk about that vulnerability pieces, let's let those guards down a little bit. Like nobody's going to laugh at you. And those people who do laugh at you are probably the insecure ones anyway, you, you know? Well. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'm not saying, you know, walk around boohooing all the time necessarily, but I mean, if, if you watch, uh, the crying game or what, what's the, what's the, Oh, the notebook. That's the, the famous, notebook. Uh, oh dude. Yeah, you can't the be notebook human and not going cry during that. Damn allergy season. I need a Claritin, you know? No, dude, just let, whatever, let it go. Yeah. You know, so, so let the guard down a little bit. Uh, don't be afraid to show some emotion. And um, I, what I've started doing in just personally for me is I'm, I'm terrible at showing emotion. I'm um, yeah. I, I up just until now, it. up until now. Well, I still suck at it. I'm working on it. Yeah. But what, what I have been doing is I've tried, I've been really trying to be conscious about paying my wife compliments that she deserves. Yeah. And, and, and really bolstering her confidence and, and trying to be, you know, trying to be her biggest cheerleader. And that's a different role that I'm used to. Uh, I'm not, I'm not necessarily used to doing that. She's always been my cheerleader. And, but right now she's going through some things that she's going through some pretty significant changes. Um, she's doing this challenge with us 
and she's she's rocking it. And I told her the other day we were on our way to church, and and I said, Katie, you feel good. You look good. I mean, you look amazing. Look and at you. Quit Holy smoking. Crap, you know? And quit smoking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fuck and yeah. she quit smoking. Yeah. yeah. So, um, she, anyways, it's I, I think it's I think it's a, just a, a it's a combination of let the guard down and try to outwardly outwardly project some of those some of those feelings that maybe you're not maybe you're not necessarily comfortable doing just practice that a little bit you know everything takes practice if you want to get good at something you got to practice it you got two guitars hanging behind you back there and you probably didn't pick it up day one and play leonard skinner right (laughs) i know i didn't it took me it took me four weeks just to learn how to do g c and d on the darn thing my fingers were bleeding i couldn't hardly move right so it takes practice it takes a little bit of hard work and i think your emotional side is probably no different Mm mm-hmm I love that, Paul. And this is such a beautiful part of the conversation. I'll definitely be making some 60 second snippets out of this because you're so you're so spot on and coming from you, you know, military guy, tough guy and everything else. I'm so glad you said that because there's so many men out there. Like, again, like I said before, the suppression, the repression or the expression of our emotions and our feelings. When you think about all the stuff that a lot of guys have built up over their childhood and, you know, things they dealt with their parents and their, and their siblings and people who've wronged them and girlfriends and all that stuff. And they're just carrying around like but can't watch the notebook, you know, because they're so afraid yeah. of crying. I used to challenge my friends at, at, when I, when I was in corporate, I challenged my staff. Most of my staff were guys. And I came back in one time. I said, you guys ever seen this movie, the notebook, you know, like my wife wanted to watch it. I didn't really want to watch it, but I found myself boo hooing. And I said, and my one friend said, Oh, my one guy in the, in the male services area, he goes, yeah, I watched it. He goes, you can't watch that. And not cry. And I'm like, right. And then the other guy, Julio goes, I ain't watching it. He goes, and I said, why? And he goes, I don't need to watch some stupid movie, some chick. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna subject myself to that. You know, he's puffing out his chest and everything. I could see him yeah. like changing his physiology. Like, I don't need to do that and everything else. I'm like, dude, I bet you you can't watch that movie and not cry. If you can watch that movie and not cry, you're not fucking human or you're on antidepressants because I have a story about that. You could have killed a cat in front of me when I was on antidepressants. I wouldn't have cared. It was it was crazy. But to the to the point of crying, I'll share this with you. I was talking about the book and I was talking about how much emotion that I've had during the writing of this book and especially rereading the book and like really sitting there thinking, okay, am I putting the reader in that place where I was? Am I giving them that feeling of that, that desperation and that, that, that abandonment and everything else that I went through? And, you know, it was hard for me to revisit that stuff. And I got to the end of the book uh, a couple of weeks ago, not this last Friday, but the Friday before I was out of my patio. It's a beautiful day outside. I'm out there writing and rereading and doing some editing. And I get to the last part. And, um, you know, sitting there trying to figure out, uh, when my mom passed away in order for me to process it, I hadn't really cried. Literally she passed away six hours later. I moved into this house. It was, it was crazy. Talk about a a part of my life ending and a part of my life beginning. It was crazy. So my wife went to go get coffee and donuts for everybody who was going to come help us move. And so I thought, okay, I got to kind of process this. What, what way do I have to process this with music? Cause music is like everything for me. It's like been my, my, my savior, everything it's been, it's been instrumental in my life. And so I went in there and I listened to about three or four songs that my mom really liked, had myself a good cry. And then when I was out in the pat, and this is, you know, this is 12 years ago, but you know, when I was out in the back patio, I sat there and I looked at the, the songs that I, cause I put the songs in the book for people as I was, as I was going through my life, I put songs in there. So there's a soundtrack to the book also kind of. And I thought there's one other song that my mom really liked that I didn't put in here. What was that song? And I thought it doesn't matter, Chris, who fucking cares about the song, but I, something just kept nagging at me. I'm like, okay, I think it was Joan Baez or Joni Mitchell or somebody like that. It was a singer songwriter. It was a folk person from back in the seventies. And I remembered the one lyric. It's been a long, long, long time. And so I went on Google, Google's your friend. I found out that yeah. the song was by Linda Ronstadt and it's called long, long time. And so I, I added to the book. There was like, so now there's five songs in there that I, that I listened to when, uh, when, after she passed away. And so I thought, why, why is that song kind of evaded me so much? 
And so I just went and I pulled up the lyrics and I know the lyrics to all these songs, but I don't know them. And I started thinking about it and I started reading the lyrics as I was listening to the song. And if, do you know the song, Linda Ronstadt? Not familiar. Oh, no. Oh, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful song. It's heartbreaking. Song. I got it written I mean, down she, here. I'll, I'll, the way uh... she sings it. I mean, it's, it's a, it gives me chills. And so for the first, I hadn't heard the song in forever. So I'm on my laptop. I put, I go to YouTube, I play the song and I go to Google and I pull up the lyrics. And as I'm reading the lyrics and I'm listening to the song and I'm thinking about my mom and thinking about her life and thinking about why did she love this song so much? And the song is about heartbreak. It's about loving somebody. And I start crying and I'm like, why am I crying? You know, like I'm, and I'm by myself. I'm in my backyard. Like nobody's watching me. And I'm, I'm like trying to fight, not crying. And I'm like, Chris, why are you doing that, dude? You, yeah. you got to let it out. You got to let it out. So I let it out. You know, I wasn't like boohooing, but I would just let the tear. I just let myself be in that moment. And afterwards I found so much clarity and I found so much love for what my mother experienced in so many facets of her life that I'm not even aware of. And so it gave me so much more compassion and empathy for her to be able to sit there and say, wow, you were really a hurt person. You were really destitute. You were really abandoned and you really did try to do the best you could. And ultimately from that, Paul, I realized something that was very critical. I always wanted my mom to be a mom. I compared her to, and we're talking about comparison. I compared to all the other moms, like all the other moms do this and all that. And my mom doesn't do that shit. Then I realized at 26 years old, she did not want to be a parent. I was not wanted. And it dawned on me in that simple acceptance and not a bad way that is simple acceptance. Like she didn't want a kid. She was trying to land this guy. He was ignoring her because he was married and had kids of his own. It wasn't that I, I mean, I wasn't wanted, but that really gave me the clarification. I was expecting something that was not going to be ever delivered because that wasn't what was in the cards. And she was supposed yeah. to place me for adoption, but she never did. And so ultimately from being able to have that cry and be able to really experience that, it, it, it almost like released so much baggage of mine that I thought I'd already released. So to it that gave point, you a pathway to get out of, uh, to yeah. get some clarity on, on, you know, a situation that you've probably been dwelling on for a long time and, you know, letting down those barriers, just like any other barrier, you know, you have to get past it or, or let it down or somehow, somehow overcome it, you know? And I was reading this book, uh, um, recently as a book on leadership or whatever, but one of the lines in there that I highlighted, it said, you only have a moment to enjoy this moment. And, that man, that really stuck. That really stuck with me because I know for me, for the last couple of years, I've been really trying to focus on being here, being now, yeah. being present. I try not to look too far in the past, and I try not to look too far in the future. Um, this this guy that I was messaging back and forth with, he was asking me about the seventy five hard challenge and and all this. And he goes, "Well, have you done any side challenges along with it, or did you have any goals uh, along with the?" with the program. And I, I kind of listed out some of my goals that I had and he goes, Holy crap, man, how do you stay focused on that for 75 days? And I said, well, easy, man, you just take one day at a time. Yep. You know, you, you have to be in the moment and you look at your daily schedule, you fit in the events that you've outlined for the program or, or any side challenges that you have. And I mean, if, if we could, if we can get to where we can do that day to day in, and not in challenge format, then, then I think we're doing good. But all that really comes back to exactly what you were just talking about. And it was, it was going to removing barriers. And part of that is that emotional barrier. I mean, hell I've cried in my pickup truck on the way home from work. When, when I released my book back in um, December and it hit number one bestseller, I've got a video of me sitting here. Nobody else in the house was up. I was sitting back here alone in my room by myself with my coffee and I saw it hit bestseller and I videotape myself boohooing like a baby going, yeah, I did it. You know? Yeah. So love it. whatever, man, let it go. Who cares? Hell yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And I, I knew, I knew time was going to fly by. So I want to talk to you about this. Um, I'm the no excuses coach, of course. 
So talk to us about your excuses, Paul, and ways that you have overcome those excuses or some of the outstanding excuses you're still dealing with and how you're you're framing your mindset to, to accomplish them. I have, a, I have an idea of how you're going to approach this, but I would love to hear what your excuses are and, and the ways you overcome them. Yeah. So um, I actually invented a character in my mind called Stan. And Stan. this is no slight against anybody named Stan. All right. This is just the name of my character. But Stan is my inner bitch. He's my... <laughs> He's my inner quitter, right? And then I have this other character named Jack, and Jack is my inner champion. Stan is the fat kid eating pizza in his mom's basement that plays video games and has no direction in his life and doesn't really want to do anything. Jack, on the other hand, has six-pack abs, drives a cool car, is dating the hot chick, right? You want to be Jack. You don't want to be Stan. And so anytime I don't feel like doing something, hey, it's 110 degrees outside and I really don't want to go on this run, well, no, dude, you you said that you were going to go for the run. Like, I don't care how you feel about it. That's Stan talking to you. Stan is your empathetic side. Stan is all about your feelings and how, you know, does it make you feel comfortable? Does it make you feel warm and fuzzy to go and do that? Oh, man, it's hot outside. The sun's bright. It's going to burn your skin. But then Jack is over here going, hey, dude, if you want the six-pack abs and the, and the cool car and the hot chick, you got to go for the run. Now, obviously, you know, I'm a military dude. Right. So I'm a little bit I'm process oriented and I like things in step one, step two, step three kind of format. Right. That's just what I'm I'm more or less conditioned to. Sure. And so sure. when I build my programs out, whatever it is, it could be a home improvement thing. It could be tackling a series of books. It could be doing my workout plans for the month or whatever it is. I like step one, step two, step three. And when it comes time for step three, well, you do step three. It doesn't matter that you're nervous or scared. Uh, sitting on top of a rock about 40 feet below me is a big old pool with a waterfall coming into it in Hawaii. And I'm standing on top of this rock and I'm scared to death of heights, right? I closed my eyes and climbed up to the top of this thing because somebody said it was cool. And I'm standing up there and I finally just said, you know what? No, step three was jump off the rock. Step one was hike to it. Step two was climb up it. Step three was jump off of it. And so I jumped. Wow. And now I've got this really badass video of me jumping off of a waterfall in Hawaii, you know, and this really cool memory. So uh, I think for me personally, it's lay out things in steps. That's how I do it. I like step one, step two, step three, and then learn that, get that, get that ability to silence that inner quitter, that piece of yourself that's trying to talk you out of things and make you feel comfortable and go towards the uncomfortable. If you can, if you move towards the uncomfortable, then you're growing. That's, yes. that's my personal tactic. Boom, mic drop right there. Mic drop, boom, mic drop. Those of you guys listening to the podcast, I have a tattoo of a microphone on the inside of my arm and I just dropped it. I dropped it. Yes, I love that. I love that. You know, it's so important when you think about your excuses. For me, it's about what's at the root of the excuse, right? What's the fear? What's the, what's the you yeah. know, procrastination, whatever it might be. And I love that because once you lay out the steps, I mean, I'm a, I'm a massive fan. I, I keep notepads by me all yep, day. I have, little, I have little check marks and I sit there and I get the little endorphin release when I check off the thing. And I sit there and I, when I get to something that's complicated or something that involves multiple tasks is I write down each one of those things, because as you, as you do that, as yeah. you, as you, as you intentionally go about one step at a time, it's not so overwhelming because sometimes we think about this, Paul, as we go, fuck, it's so big. I don't know where to start. I'll start tomorrow. And then I'm going to go back to my short-term gratification because now I'm, I've got anxiety and I've got stress and everything else. So I want to go to my short-term gratification to give me that endorphin release, the serotonin release, whatever release you want to call it. So I can ignore that and deal with that some other time. But when we sit there and we get real with ourselves and sit there and say, okay, did I come here to play or did I come here to win? Did I, if, again, if that film crew was watching me, what would I do? And for me, it's about sitting there, sitting there thinking about, okay, I'm not going to be able to accomplish all of this all at once, 
but what dent can I make in it today? What progressive action can I, can I do with it today? A lot of my coaching clients are in that similar situation. They procrastinated on something they wanted to do. They've been afraid of making mistakes. They've been afraid because they've tried it and they haven't continued, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I invite them like, okay, just as part of the gym, all I want you to do is to drive to the gym, just drive to the gym and sit in the parking lot. If that's all you want to do and you want to procrastinate and you don't want, you want to go home, then go home. Every single person who's ever done that, like, okay, Chris, I'll try that. Well, Chris, I got to the gym and I was like, I'm tired. And I don't feel like doing it. But then I was at the gym and I just decided to go inside the door. And I said, I'm just going to work out yeah. for 10 or 15 minutes. And this, I've had so many people tell me this. I'm going to, I'm just going to go in there for 10 or 15 minutes so I can tell Chris that I worked out. And then they go in there for 10 or 15 minutes and kind of get into the feeling of it. And then they leave 45 exactly. minutes or an hour later going, wow. And every single person says this, they go, wow, I'm so glad I didn't listen to my excuse. And yep. to get past that thing, you know, because we got to be serious about the situations in our life, because most oftentimes we're dealing with a symptom of a problem and we're not dealing with the root of that. Talk to us about that. How can we get yep. people to, to, to identify the difference between a symptom of their life and what that root problem might be? Well, again, to me, it's, it's process oriented and you, you talked, you touched on a little bit of that, that kind of fear or, you know, maybe there's some unknown out there or, you know, it's going to suck. Like that's a big one. Like, man, I really, I know this is going to suck. 75 hard. That's a, that's a great example. Like 75 yeah. days, this is going to suck. Well, how do you, how do you get over fear? What, what is the, what is the one thing that'll get you over fear? And a lot of people will say courage and they'll say courage comes from this, that, and another, you know, pixie dust and unicorn piss. I don't know, whatever. I say that courage comes from, or can come from discipline. And if you're a disciplined person that can follow a process, then there's no room for fear. Reference my standing on the waterfall thing again. There's no room for fear when step three is jump off the thing and you're disciplined enough to follow your process, right? right. And in order to be a champion, in order to be a champion, you, you kind of need, you need desire for one. You have to want to do it. You have to have commitment for two. So you have to be willing to jump in it with both feet. And then you have to have the discipline to do that every day, yes. right? So, I mean, I'm, I don't know if you're a football fan. I'm a football fan. And I love watching Nick Saban and listening to him talk. And, and you can say what you will about Alabama Crimson Tide football. Not everybody's going to like him. But that man is one of the best team builders that's ever existed. And, and it's kind of undeniable, right? And when he starts talking about what it takes to be a champion, it's do what needs to be done the right way when it's supposed to be done and doing it like that every single time. That's discipline. And if yeah. you can ha just have a little bit of that in your everyday life, man – you're gonna, have you read Atomic Habits by James Clear? Yes. Because what you were just talking about, about going to the gym, just, man, put your freaking shoes on. This is something I was telling Katie when we started 75 Hard. The best thing you can do in the morning, wake up in the morning, chug your water, and put your freaking running shoes on. If When you put your shoes on, just that little step of putting your shoes on yeah. will get you out the door. I promise you. Because you're going to be sitting there in your stupid lazy boy watching The View or whatever, staring at your running shoes. And eventually you're going to get pissed off at yourself for sitting in your lazy boy with your running shoes on. You're going to say, well, I've already got my shoes on. I might as well go. Yep. And you're going to get your butt out the door. And even if you just walk around the block, guess what? You did something. Tomorrow's going to be block plus one. The next day is going to be a mile. The next day is going to be a mile and a half. And it's that compounding interest of having that discipline to do the same shit every single day. Mm, yes. Yes. Preaching to the choir, preaching to the choir. We've got our boy Walt in the house. What's up, Walt? Good to see you here, brother. Appreciate you being here. He says, vulnerability is the ultimate flex of strength. Without, without you'll never have the internal freedom we are all looking for. Men especially need to embrace this and rewire ourselves. Yes. Thank you for brother Walt for being there. Appreciate it, man. we got uh, two friends catering saying this is the time. These are these 
These is the times to remember. Billy Joel. Yes, these are the times to remember. Got Robert in the house. What's up, Robert? Thank you for being here, brother. Appreciate you. He says, uh, hey, Christopher and Paul, that's my brother's name. And I also want to capture, uh, Katie was up here. Katie says here, thank you for being here, Katie, by the way. She says, I got laid off during COVID, similar situation that I was confronted with figuring out who I was if I wasn't that person anymore. Yes. Yeah. You and I, Katie talked about that. We talked about that because I was let go from my position back in November of 2019. And it was, it was a, it was a huge identity shift. Um, and as she, as she says here, a significant emotional event. Yes. Big time. Well, well okay. So hang on, just pause right there for just a second. All right. So for Katie, yeah. um, so I'm 47 years old, right? And in the old. last two and a half years, I, I guarantee you, if you were to call my Katie, who's sitting in there watching TV, uh, I'm a different person than it was. So it's never too late to reinvent yourself. It's never too late to start. Like the best thing you can do is take step one right now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait until you're prepared or if you're ready, just, just do it. whatever it is that you're thinking about changing about yourself. Maybe, maybe you want to lose five pounds. So you look hot at your high school reunion. Maybe you want to start saving for retirement, dude. If you're 60 years old, start saving for retirement. If you're 18 years old, start saving for retirement. It's never too late. Right. So, so start now. The, the worst thing that you, that you can do is nothing like doing nothing. Choosing not to choose is still a choice. Yes, so, so, so get moving, do something. Right. And, and if you don't want to be that person, or if you're confused about which one of those people you are, then pick one and go that way. Just, just do it. Mm. I love that brother. I love that. Thank you for that. Hopefully Katie, that gives some, uh, gives some clarity for you as well. Um, yes. Uh, Walt says here, yes. Having kids, gives a whole new perspective. That's for sure. He's a girl dad too. So that's, that's yeah. even, that's next level. <laughs> Ooh, I know. I know. I've got a boy. That's a good thing. Yeah. So my last question for you, because we were, we've been coming up on an hour is actually, that was a great segue as a father. You've been, you said you're a father of three boys, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So three boys been a father. What have been some of the most remember the most memorable lessons that you've learned as being a father, as being a parent? Wow. Um, well, I'm, I'm kind of going through a little bit of it. Uh, for about the last year, maybe or so, but um, it was really hard for me to swallow that my kids are not me, and yeah. the the things that the things that drive me and motivate me come from you know growing up a certain way, having a certain upbringing with a certain amount of family, and I, I grew up on a farm, and, and you know it was a family farm, so we all worked the farm in the summer, and and those family values and disciplines and, and, and those kinds of things were drilled into me at an early age. And then I joined the military and, and that kind of continued that actually, you know, piled onto it, but realizing that my kids are not me has really challenged me. And, and, and I'll give you an example. So we're, um, it's during, during COVID, right when COVID hit. So spring of 2020, my youngest son, uh, had just started high school. Right. And, he, his grades were slipping that everybody was doing work from home and, and kind of this online, um, online school junk and his grades start slipping and, and we sat him down in the living room and we're kind of, I mean, we're kind of getting on to him because he's an A student. He's, he's always been an A student. Right. And he's now he's pulling in C's and D's and we're like, what the Whoa. heck, man, just, just do the freaking work, you know? And, and I start getting on to him about discipline and get in there and you just got to do it. And you know, and all this, out, and he yeah. starts boohoo and he looks at me and goes, dad, I'm not you. And that was like a slap in the face. And you know, <laughs> It's, it's taken me a long, long time. Even when I talk to my 26 year old who's maturing and I mean, he's a dad as well. And, you know, 
with with him and, and his household, he'll call me and we'll start talking about things and I'll start talking to him about this, that and another. And then I have to kind of reel back a little bit and realize, wait a minute, man, like your life is way different than my life. And and your uh, what drives you day to day is just different than what drove me and, and still drives me from day to day. So I think that that's been a welcome challenge for me is learning how to communicate with these kids learning how to teach them those things that are so vitally important for them to know to be successful in life. Things like hard work and discipline and financial responsibility and how to love your wife and, and all these things and, and be a dad themselves one day and hopefully pass all this stuff down, realizing that they're not the same person that I am. Like I could, all three of my kids, completely different people, right? Yeah. One of them I can grab by the face mask and I can shake them around like this, but the other one, he needs a hug, you know? So Learning that with my kids has really challenged me to be, I think, a better communicator and a better leader overall. Dude, I love it. I love this conversation. There's so many awesome nuggets in here. Dude, where can people get a hold of you to continue the conversation? Yeah. So my website, www.paulroscoewhite.com. There's a place in there you can sign up for the email. You can also check me out on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn at Paul Roscoe White. Get in touch with me through any one of those. And also the one of five project.com as yeah. well. Yeah. That'll, yes. that'll loop you back around to uh, paulroscoewhite.com. Same, same thing, but yeah. Awesome brother. This has been an amazing conversation. I'm gonna stick you backstage for a second while I close out the show. Don't go anywhere. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm just going to finish out the show. See you bud. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, holy banana crackers. I told you that was going to be a fire conversation. I told you it was going to be fire. I don't bring you anything besides fire, do I, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. So when you think about what it is that we talked about tonight, mindset, attitude, perspective, belief, choices, discipline, doing your best. From this conversation, here's my task to you. What is your best? How can you identify what your best truly is? And then also ask yourself, am I doing my best right now in this situation? Perhaps you're dealing with a work issue. You're dealing with a relationship issue. You're dealing with whatever type of issue. Ask yourself, am I doing my best? And if you're not, ask yourself what it is that you're willing to do to become your best. To sit there and sit there and, and say, you know what? I'm not going to do things half-ass anymore. I'm not going to do things mediocre anymore. I'm not going to be complacent about my life. Because when I ask people this, did you come here to have this amazing experience as a human being, a soul having this human experience? Did you come here to be mediocre? Did you come here to be complacent? Did you come here to be average? Did you come here to blend in? Did you come here to, to hope, wish, and pray that someday your life is going to be great? Or did you come here to kick ass and take names? Did you come here to experience things and actually have life in within you? So many people out there, ladies and gentlemen, are existing in life. They're existing in life. They're hoping, wishing, and praying that someday this and that will happen. Then I'll be happy. Then when I get this, I'll be happy. When I graduate with this, I'll be happy. When I have that relationship, then I'll be happy. We're talking about it tonight. We've been talking about moments, right? To be in the moment. Look around. You can breathe on your own. You can go to the bathroom on your own. You have free will. You can go to social media. You have one of these things that has every fucking answer to every fucking question that you could possibly ever fucking have. And yet you're sitting there going... I don't know what to do about my finances. I don't know what to do about my relationship. Stop doing that shit, ladies and gentlemen. Stop doing that shit because guess what? When you're on your deathbed and you're thinking back about your life, you're going to hope, wish, and pray that you could have done it over again because you're going to realize that you did not take the chances. You did not live up to the experience and the expectations of what you truly could have been. And so for that, you're going to get to sit there and think about for the rest of your however many days or years you have left, you're going to get to think about that. 
man, I wish I would have taken that chance. Man, I wish I would have asked that girl out. Man, I wish I would have dropped that relationship 20 years earlier when I knew it was bad. Do you know how many people I've coached through relationships, through divorces and, and all this shit? And every single one of them says, fuck, Chris, I wish I would have done this 10, 15 years ago. I've wasted all this time. And not only did I waste my time, I wasted my spouse's time, right? So wherever you're at in your life, think about that. Think about whatever it is you're putting your ladder ladder against, you know, the building against, you're putting your ladder against the building. You may be going up, but you may be going up the wrong building, the job, everything else in your life. If you're not happy, you need to ask yourself, what is it that I'm willing to do differently in order to get what I haven't got? Dr. Wayne Dyer talks about that. When you, uh, if you continue to do what you've always done, you will continue to get what you've always got. And that's what I have for you guys. That's what I have. So think about your best, be intentional, pick apart those big goals into smaller ones, have that discipline, have that tenacity, go out there and do it for yourself. Go out there and leave a legacy that you're going to be proud of. All right. I love you guys. We're going to be back here again next week. I think next week uh, we are going to be, uh, it's going to kick off actually our special series. So I've got my friend Patricia is going to be my co-host and we're going to be bringing some special guests in here. So I'm going to have a co-host for the first time here on the Raw and Scripted Show. I love you guys. Be beautiful. We'll see you here next time on the Raw and Scripted Show.